0: You get, if you came today, if you're just visiting, uh, winner, winner, chicken dinner. You get a two for one today. Uh, first, before I speak, uh, you're going to listen to a wonderful young lady. Her name is Hillary Jackson. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Hillary is currently working as a, a missionary in Uganda. Yes? Whew. Good guess, Rob. Mombale? <laughs> two for two. Some in Mumbai, Uganda. She's currently working with children in a million different ways, and we are blessed to be able to support her financially and spiritually in that. We are among many churches that are doing that, and she has uh, graciously been willing to be here today to tell us a little bit about what's going on in her life and what God is doing there, and, and just share with what some of y- your prayers and, and, and your contributions are leading to in God's work in the kingdom of God. Yeah? Yep. Okay. You. Yeah? Good one. So it's been about a year since I last stood up here and I just wanted to take foot (laughs) to the other poor thing. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Hillary. I I always appreciate um, someone's willing to be honest about their challenges and their difficulties. I think we work really hard sometimes to put up this front that all things are great and wonderful all the time, and they're not, they're not. And when, when God asks us to do something that's beyond our scope, what we believe we're equipped to do, uh, it can be disheartening, it can be difficult, it can be challenging. And sometimes we have to wait till we get through the other side to see where the Lord was working the whole time. And uh, I appreciate her willingness to throw that out there and say, look, I had struggles. Um, But to know that God was faithful all the way through. And if you're, I just want to take a second to say, if you're in a struggle right now, God is with you all the way through, even if you can't see it and he desires for you to come out the other side knowing him believing in him and trusting in him which leads well into our series our series that we're in we're in our third week it's called why the first week we talked about why did Jesus have to die on the cross we used a big word that in that week what word was it do you remember Propitiation, good job. It's propitiation for our sins. It's it's not just something that, that makes it okay or erases the debt, but a propitiation is something that actually changes the way God views you. We go from being in enmity to him, which means against him, to with him as family. We are adopted into his family as his children. It changes the way he looks at us. Jesus, and only Jesus dying on the cross, could have achieved that. Then last week we looked at why do I need to love the church? Why do we need to love the church, or do we need to? We do, why? Because Jesus Christ loved it first, yes. What was the phrase I used about Jesus being, or the church being the bride of Christ? Loving Jesus and not loving the church is a bit like saying, I love you, but I hate your wife, right? It is. It really, really is. And I think it's important for us to remember that. I think it's important for us to remember that though the church is imperfect, as most of our spouses are, except for mine, are imperfect... The reality is that Jesus loved the church so much that he was willing to give his life in order to establish it. We are not a plan B. We are the plan. We are his spouse. We are his wife. We are his people. And to love Jesus means to love his people too, flaws and all, broken and all. We also noted that we need one another. That's another reality of why we should love the church. I need you and you need me because we are all gifted differently. And it's only when we bring all of those God given gifts together that we see what He wants to do in this world and that we can accomplish what He wants to do in this world. And when we see our best selves too. Which leads me to this last why. And this last why might seem obscure, but. It, I think it's one that we struggle with daily as Christians. And it's, it's this, it's if Jesus loves me as I am, because he does, yes, why do I need to change? Because I'm going to throw this out there, I need to change. And if I need to change, my guess is what am I going to say next? We, do. we all need to change. And change is one of those things that we do not like to talk about. It's one of those things we do not want to deal with. Because I don't know about you, but I like myself in my current state for the most part. But here's the reality. I'm not perfect. I know that will all come as a surprise to everybody in here except my wife. But I'm not perfect. None of us are. We all need to change. But that doesn't make change easy. And I, and I want to be clear right up front, make no mistake, Jesus calls us to change. He calls us to be different from who we were before we knew Him, and He calls us to continue to change as we get to know Him. Okay? I, I want to make that abundantly clear. Does Jesus want us to change? Okay. For how much of our life does Jesus want us to change? The whole life, and I think that's where we get into trouble. We are goal-oriented people. We like to believe there's a target we need to hit, and once we hit the target, that goal is done, we've checked it off, and we've moved on to the next thing or the next piece of what we're headed to next, but growing in Jesus, changing in Christ, and allowing Him to change you is not one of those items. Now, there may be steps along the way that you can check off this step as you move from one step to the next. But growing in Christ is not something you ever finish. We do do not arrive. We do not get to the place where we are exactly as God would have us be in all of our glory and perfection. That's why we needed Jesus. We can't do that ourselves. And pursuing perfection, pursuing God-Christ-likeness is not something we achieve in a set period of time by checking off some boxes and we arrive there. And that's really hard for us as goal-oriented people to buy into. Jesus calls us to change. He calls us to be transformed constantly throughout our lives. The text we're going to look into today is actually Romans chapter 12. I don't care what your program says because I switched in the middle of the week. So that's not Kathy's fault. That's Rob's fault. But I switched and I know, she's going to shoot me. Is she in here? Don't tell her. (sighs) All right. So we change to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's read this together. It says, Therefore... Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed, there's that change word, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and perfect in the will of God. Transformed. I had a professor in college that used to tell me this this first word up here. It says that you are a living sacrifice to present yourself as a living sacrifice. And he always used to say, You know what the problem with living sacrifices is? They're always trying to crawl off the altar. Come on, that's funny. Because it's, it's true, it's, it's true when, when, when we are asked to be a living sacrifice, we are choosing to say, God, I will be right here doing with me what you will. That's not our natural state. That is not our natural state at all. Our natural state is to want to control every piece of our life. To want to make all of our own decisions about what we do when we do and how we do it what it looks like and who i am and who i'm with and all of those things to be a living sacrifice means owning up to the notion that i cannot be in charge of all of those things and i have to be willing to do whatever god calls me to do we just heard from hillary right she was called to go to uganda As challenging and frightening as that was, as challenging as that has been, she knows that was her call, right? She's also being called to come home. But it doesn't make her feel good about it, right? She's got her concerns. She's going to miss those kids, and I would miss them too. Sometimes what God is calling us to do means we have to be willing to let him do it, whether we want it to happen or not. That easy? I don't know about you, but I have a lot of difficulty doing things I don't wanna do. In fact, I tend to put them off. You put off the things you don't wanna do? I think there's two approaches to that. I think you either put off the things you don't wanna do indefinitely hoping by some miracle, they'll just go away and they'll never bother you, right? or we tend to try to get them done and get them done as quickly and as painlessly as possible, right? Finish it, do it, move on with it. Again, we really, if we want to be the people that God wants us to be, we can't take either one of those two approaches when it comes to changing, to being called to the things that God is calling us to. It's not a matter of getting it done, checking it off, and moving on to the next thing. And we can't run from it God is pursuing us. You can't run and hide from God, regardless of what He's calling you to. So, we're going to talk about this word today, trans- transformation. We're going to talk about this word, sanctification, which is really closely linked to what this means to be transformed. Transformation is an outcome, as the Scripture says here, is it an outcome of your constant renewing of your mind. This constant, ongoing, never-ending transformation comes because we are constantly renewing, constantly be mating anew in the image of God rather than the image of the world. We are not conforming to the things of the world, we are pursuing the things of God. And there's a constant renewal that's constantly going on. This constant renewal is called sanctification. Sanctification is both an immediate occurrence when you come to follow the Lord. It says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen that we are a new creation in God. There's this, this brand new process of transforming and becoming holy. This, the, it happens in some ways immediately as you come into the family of God. We talked about that, right? This propitiation for our sins changes the way he looks at you. You are immediately more holy in his eyes than you were before, Okay? but it's also very much an ongoing process. Very much an ongoing process. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and following, the writer makes this correlation between milk and food. You are consumers of milk when you should be consumers of food. The obvious correlation there is that you are merely still infants in your faith. Infants do not come out of the womb walking and talking, <laughs> and eating solid food, and giving you their opinions. Well, maybe they do that. They definitely express their frustration, do they not? Okay. They do, but they do not come out of the womb as full-grown adults. Yes? Okay. I think sometimes we fall under the assumption that we come to Christ as full-blown, full-blown believers. There's an emphasis in the church, and it has been for many decades, on the notion of this this topic of conversion, getting people converted to Christ. First of all, I think it's a bad word. I think regenerated is a much better word, to be renewed, to be rekindled. But can I just tell you, that's the starting line for the journey, not the finish line for the journey. This process of becoming who Christ wants us to be is an ongoing renewal. It happens constantly. It's not a matter of, again, checking it off a box. An ongoing investment in the things of God, the kingdom of God, to be renewed in Him is required if we are going to transform, if we are going to change and become more Christ-like with every step we take in this life. Do you know... Anybody who was ever just like Christ? It's not a trick question, huh? Just just Christ. Thank you, my son. Just, literally, my son. Just like, no one is just like Christ because Christ is Christ, right? He is perfect. He is holy. He is blameless. He is utterly sanctified, completely represents the image of God in every aspect of who he is. None of us are ever going to get there. But our call is to try to get closer. Our call is to pursue Him. And there are reasons for that. So why? Why should I try to get closer to becoming Christ-like? Because it is an effort. And number one, you can't do it alone. You need this thing we call the Holy Spirit to help. You also need this thing called the church, which we talked about last week. We need each other To pursue Christ. This is not, this is not a a one person race. It's not even a relay race. It's all of us hand it's a sack potato sack race, is what it is. Kind of feels like it sometimes too, right? A three-legged race? You ever done a three-legged race? Anybody ever won a three-legged race? Mm -hmm. My wife says yes. Really? I was not your partner in a three-legged race. A three-legged race is not fun all the time because you're trying to push and pull and move with somebody else's rhythms. Good luck. Sometimes our relationship with God might feel that way. We're trying to move with his rhythms as our partner, and that is not always easy to do. We say, God, you're going too fast, or God, you're going too slow. God's going just the right speed. It's us who's having a problem picking the right pace. So, what does this mean? First, we need to pursue God for three reasons, I think, out of this text. One is to understand the mere scope of his sacrifice. It says in Romans 12, it says, in view of the mercies of God, this is why you're going to do this. I want you to understand, again, the scope of Jesus' sacrifice. In Luke chapter 22, verses 42 through 44, he says, Father, he's about, he is in the garden facing his imminent crucifixion and death. And he's praying to God and he he says something. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Again, you're asking me to do something I do not necessarily want to do. It's going to be uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but my first response is, how can I get out of this? Right? Can I avoid this? I think he says these words, less because it's how he feels, and more because we need to understand the challenge and the difficulty, okay? Because remember, he knows what's coming. He made this decision before the beginning of time, knowing he was gonna do this. It says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, it seems to me. Isn't that interesting? The notion that, that the strength that he had needed The strength that he needed to get through this scenario came after he did what? After he submitted his will to the Lord's. After he said, what I want should not take precedent over what you want. So often we wait for the Lord to show up and then say, we will follow you if you show up. How often do we say we will do what you've asked knowing you will show up then? Knowing that the payoff comes after the decision to follow. First of all, we want to see the goods first, right? Show me the money first. <laughs> show me the outcome first. That's not how God works. But, but but I want you to understand that Jesus had to do that. He had to be willing to set aside... His kingdom in heaven, to set aside, Philippians would later say, Philippians 2, that he humbled himself. He did not consider his royalty at the the right hand of God, his place in heaven, to be something to grasp or held on to, but instead humbled himself to the point of death, death on a cross. Jesus gave up everything so that we could be remade. Right? Everything the depth of His sacrifice. And I don't think we understand that unless we are pursuing Christ-likeness, unless we pursue the things of God. One of the things I've discovered over the years is that the more I pursue Christ, the more I understand just the scope and the breadth of what He did. I still don't think I totally understand it or appreciate it or I'm grateful enough for it. Because our response, our willingness to change... Should in some ways come out of obligation for his mercies, but also gratitude for his mercies. Gratitude. And can I just tell you, gratitude is one of those things that human beings are not real good at. I was discussing with somebody this week, a lot, we have a lot of students that are, are graduating, right, from high school. And after our graduation party, what do you do as a student? What's your mom make you do? write 562 thank you notes, right? And, and so you end up as a student having to write out, okay, this is what this person gave me, thanks for seeing me. By the time you get to graduation note number 300, your hand's ready to fall off, right? You're out of ideas. How do I keep this original? <laughs> do, I, do I have to do, mom, do I, I did it when I was in high school, mom, do I have to do this? And my mom would say, yes why why would your mom make you write graduation cards because what it's the right thing to do which I'm thinking whoever said that it wasn't what they said was it my kid it's always my kid it's the right thing to do It, it it demonstrates that we really are grateful it's a response, it's an, it's an action that demonstrates we really do appreciate what you did. We really do care that you came to our party. We really do care and value any gift you might have given. We really do. But that's not the natural order of how people think. <laughs> or if we are grateful, we're grateful in the moment, and then we move on to the next thing, right? I'm grateful that you gave me a $15 gift card, which the church gave a $15 gift card to Subway and to Burger King, I believe we did, right? For every graduate this year. You're grateful for the gift card right now. I'm grateful for the gift card when I'm broken in line, right? At Subway and I need to eat, right? But am I gonna be grateful for that gift card two years from now, three years from now, four years from now, five years from now? Probably not. <laughs> I'm probably going to forget I even got it. But the gift of salvation in Christ is not that. The gift of salvation in Christ is not that thing that you just write a thank you card for and you move on from. That gift is eternal. <laughs> that gift is constantly giving back, giving to you and contributing to your life. That gift is what saves all, each and every one of us from condemnation, from hell, for lack of a better word, a word none of us like to hear. Are you grateful for that gift? I hope so. But I think as we pursue Christ, as we further understand the sacrifice that He made, we are able to have even greater gratitude for that. And as we have even greater gratitude for that, our response to it changes. It grows. We are more willing to change and less, less desiring to fight it. We are more willing to grow and not willing to just sit still and hope it all blows over. Make no mistake, Christ calls us to change. And when he calls us to change, he calls us to change because it's for our own good. And unless we really understand the depth of his sacrifice, we can't grasp that. In Jeremiah chapter 18, which is the source text that's on your your bulletin today, so we are going to touch it. In verses 1 through 4, we see Jeremiah being called by God. And he says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down at once to the potter's house, and there I will reveal my words to you. And so I went to the potter's house, and there he was, working away at the wheel. But the jar that he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hand. And so he made it into another jar, as it seemed right for him to do. What did he have to do first if he had, if he decided the jar was flawed and the jar is by the way who the people of god are the jar in this case it's israel the people of israel the people of god are the jar and if he decides that he wants to make the jar anew what does he have to do first he's got to destroy the old jar right? Remember, it's incomplete, just as we are incomplete, right? We are incomplete in Christ. We are always growing in Christ. We are not a finished work. It's not a box you check off. It's not a place you stop and you arrive and you get put in the kiln and you're a finished product. We are working towards Christ all of our lives. This is also an unfinished product. And as he saw the flaw in his hand, he said, This isn't how I envisioned it. This isn't how I wanted it to be. And it doesn't say he threw the jar away. He says he made it. He took the clay that was flawed and he made it into something else. But in order to make it into something else, it meant squishing it back down, turning it back into a ball of clay, Making sure, working it, wedging it, making sure the air bubbles are out again. Resetting it on the center of the wheel and trying again. If if God wants to take you as you are and smush you back into a ball and wedge you again to work the air out of you, and stick you in the center of the wheel and try again, how is that going to feel? Horrible! None of us are going to like that! None of us are going to like that! But do we understand that Jesus allowed himself to be that clay so that we could be remade into something new? Jesus allowed himself to be squished even though he was a flawless jar, Jesus allowed himself to be wedged again and again on our behalf so that we could be made something new. You get that? Don't lose sight of that. He wants us to change because the more we understand him, the more we understand what he did and the gravity of it. So, why else does He want us to be changed? Well, first, the Scripture also tells us in Romans 12, it says, so that we can learn to discern His desires for us. It says, so that you, you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect in the eyes of God or in the will of God. Discernment, in a simple explanation, would be the ability to decide between truth and error that would be a simple explanation for discernment—the ability to decide between truth and error—but discernment in the eyes of God is something much more. Um, I, I, I'm sure I've told this story before, but when I was growing up, my mom whistled when she wanted our attention. Right? Anybody's mom whistle when you want their want your attention. Anybody's dad whistle when they want their attention. Any of you whistle when you want your kids' attention? Yeah? My mom, by the time I was probably four or five years old, I could hear my mom's whistle three blocks away. <laughs> right? And, and the, th- the funny thing is, it wasn't the volume, although it was loud. It was something particular about the pitch that, that I could pick out of a cacophony of sounds or whistles. I knew mom's whistle anytime, place. In fact, I'm 48 years old and my mom will still whistle from across a crowd if she wants my attention and my head will whip around. My brother and I both talk about it. We both go, how does she do that? It's because we are well trained to discern her voice, her whistle. We have lived with it grown with it, learned through it, because if you didn't respond to the whistle, (laughs) bad things happened. You've, You've learned over time, my brother and I learned to discern that whistle, to discern her call to us. If God calls us to change because we inherently do not hear His calls, we do not recognize them with clarity. We are broken, we are flawed, we are clouded by sin. And so we miss when he is calling to us sometimes. We miss when he is speaking into our life. One of the things I discussed with the teens this morning is what happens when, if somebody comes by and tells you that something about you is broken or wrong. What's your immediate response? don't judge me, get off me, right? It's this defensive, but if we are the people of God, if we are the church working together and somebody who loves you says, and you know they love you, says to you, look, I think you've got a really bad problem with your temper. Could that be that that is them being a conduit for the voice of God, telling you Because God wants you to know something's wrong. Priscilla Schreier did a book called Discerning the Voice of God, which I think you're going to study here soon, right? That's a plug for Nita's Bible study, women's Bible study coming up. They're going to do this. But it says... Uh, She says, God is the God of the right now. He doesn't want you sitting around and regretting yesterday, nor does he want you wringing your hands and worrying about the future. He wants you focusing on what he is saying to you and putting in front of you right now. But if we don't have a connection to him, if we have not learned to discern his voice, how can you know what he wants from you right now? Jesus was very clear in John chapter 10. He says, my my sheep, my sheep, they know my voice. They know me when I speak to them, just as I know my mom's whistle when she whistles at me. If you really want to know what God's will for your life is, you need to be willing to let him change who you are, change what you hear and how you hear it, change what gets in the way to remove the walls that we build so that you can discern His voice. You can discern what is good and pleasing in the perfect will of God. You can't do that unless you're letting, willing to let Him change you because we don't listen naturally. Do you listen? Are you obedient naturally? Some of us are. Very few of us are. We have to be willing to listen, but that takes time, that takes effort, and that takes change. That takes transformation, sanctification, renewing of your mind on a constant basis. So how do you renew your mind? So that you're transformed. How do you do that? What are some things you could do? to renew your mind. It's not rhetorical. Scripture! Scripture Scripture gets a bad rap. Scripture is the very Word of God. You cannot discern the mind of God if you're not learning about who God is, right? God speaks through His Word with the power of the Holy Spirit will help you discern it, help you consider what it means, help you understand what it's leading you to. But if you never take the time to read it, or if you show up on Sunday and expect Rob to tell you what it says. Are you really going to be able to discern his voice clearly? And the answer is no. If, if Sunday morning is your only source or connection to the Scripture, to discerning his voice and his will, then you're missing six other days of the week in discerning that. You're selling yourself short, and you're making it very hard for Him to change you. Anything else? Anything else you can do to learn to discern the voice of God? Who said that? Prayer. Paula, you said prayer? It's okay to raise your hand. It's all right. That was a good answer. You know, if Keith had answered, I'd said, keep your hand down, Keith. But Prayer, and prayer is an interesting thing. Prayer is not just about telling God everything that's wrong. Because I'm good at that. I can give you a list today. Prayer is also being willing to sit, and this is hard, sit still and listen for what God might have to say to you in return. How many of you have heard the Holy Spirit speak to you? don't be shy about it. We push it off and we act like, oh, that's just, that's weird. It's not weird. God has been talking to His people since the dawn of time. It is okay to say the Spirit of God has spoken to me. He may have said, you're doing well. He may have said, hey, we need to do some repotting. (laughs) Right? Chances are the Spirit of God is whispering to you constantly. But if you've never learned to discern his voice, how are you gonna separate it from all the other voices that are speaking into your life? Because there's a lot of them. Some of them are are ourselves, our own self-doubt, our own guilt, our own baggage that we bring to the table. How are we gonna learn to, to, to isolate God's voice over our own? Have to be willing to change. You have to be willing to pursue him and to allow him to do what he needs to do to transform you. He wants us to change for the better so, he can, so we can understand his will for our lives, what he wants for you and what he wants for the world. If you're wondering what God wants for you, my suggestion is don't get mad. Lean in and assume that you need to do more to, to discern his voice because he's whispering. He's whispering. If he gets to the point where he's shouting, if you're a mom and you get to the point where you're shouting with your kid, it's too late, right? <laughs> right? Uh, my kids are forever going, if one of us yells at the kid, they're going, they're going, you didn't tell me. Is that true or false? Mom or dad, is that true or false? Straight up false. You have probably told your kid how many times already? Three, three at least three Three, four, five, 500 times. You've had the same discussion. We are just as disobedient with God. He has told us four, five, six, seven, eight, ten times. And eventually, sometimes he yells. And if he yells, it's too late. You done messed up. Listen for the whisper so he doesn't get to the yell. Please. Finally, So we've learned that we need to change and grow so that we can discern His will in our lives. We've learned to change and grow so we can fully understand the scope of His sacrifice. But we also need to understand that we need to learn and change so that we can truly represent Him in the world. Truly represent Him in the world. Romans 12, 2, it said, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed. Do not be conformed to this age. Why would he warn against this? He would warn against this because we are inherently conformed to the world around us. If somebody else buys a new car, one of your best friends buys a new car, is there a little part of you that says, I'd like a new car? If you walk into your friend's house and he's got a really nice house, is there some of you that go, just a little part of you goes, I wish I had that? Yes or no? True, it happens. We are inherently influenced by those who are around us, by the world around us. We're inherently, believe it or not, you are inherently influenced by billboards and signs and advertising on the TV and the radio and everywhere else. And I know this because if it wasn't working, they wouldn't keep doing it. Any of you who are in newspapers or radio or television you do it because it works right you pick ads because it works we are influenced by our community by our world by the people around us but if we are exactly like everybody else around us then where are they seeing god where are they seeing god Because we've already decided the world is a little broken right and this is an interesting thing for me because i think kids man kids are born with very minimal fears they're born i think really with fears of the unknown i think that's an inherent human fear fear of things we don't understand right i think maybe babies are born with a fear of being alone maybe i don't know but they're very very limited it's only over time that we develop more and more and more and more fears. I'm, I'm going to narc on my kid. Is he still in here did he run out the door? Good. All right, he's gone. Okay, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right, when, my, when CJ was, I want to say five or so, we took him onto a university campus because we were trying to recruit, or not recruit, we were trying to... Um, let new students know about our church that we were serving at, because I was serving as the youth and college minister. And we were trying to let them know, because it was a start to the school year. And so we walked around campus, and we walked around campus, campus passing out flyers, telling them we had a van that drove from the college to the church every Sunday morning, that we would pick you up. We told them all these things. And, and, and CJ was our biggest cheerleader. You'd hand that kid his flyer, and he would walk up to anybody and everybody and excitedly throw them at him and go, you have got to come to church with me. You have got to come to church with me, especially if it was a pretty girl. He would be like, you got to come to church with me on Sunday. And they would all go, oh, he's so cute. Okay, I'm coming to church with you on Sunday. And they would. They would totally show up because he was fearless in representing God to the world, or his understanding of what God expected of him, right? He believed that God expected him to tell others about him. He believed that God wanted him to invite people to church, largely because mom and dad said that was important. That's what he believed. And so, he was fearless about it. How willing are we as adults to run up to people and go, you have Got to come to church with us on Sunday. We have a van that will pick you up. I will come to your house and I will get you. And here's my flyer and here's my phone number if you need it. When was the last time you did that? <laughs> Probably never. Probably when you were five like Christopher, right? Kids, we learn so many of our fears as we grow up. Kids are fearless Largely, number one, because they don't know any better. We think that's the reason. It's part of it. The other part of it is they trust. They trust. They trust that if mom or dad says it will be okay, it will be okay. If mom or dad says do this, it's the right thing to do when jesus says all of us should come to him like little children i don't really believe that's what it means full full of life and and desire to grow and learn and understand because remember kids ask why 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 right They're trying to understand and grow and learn and develop. And if Jesus says, go do this, yes, let's go do this. And if Jesus says, let's try that, okay, let's try that. His disciples are identified by people who are willing to go where he he went, right? To do what he asked them to do, to change what he asked them to change. Part of us growing and changing in Christ is done so that we can better represent what it means to be a follower of Christ to the world, to represent God appropriately to the world. Because I don't know about you, I think we serve a great God. I think we serve a wonderful God, a powerful, merciful, graceful, good, and perfect God. But it's not our natural bent to be excited about telling people about Him, because we let our own fears get in the way. We let our own difficulties and our own baggage and our own doubts get in the way. You have to be willing to let Him change you if you really want to be able to tell people who He is. Does that mean you're going to tell everybody who He is exactly perfectly every time? No. And he doesn't ask you to be perfect. He asks us to try. (laughs) Try. Be willing to set aside our fears. Be willing to to say, God, I trust you. God, you have asked this of me and I will go. God, you said it's going to be okay. It'll be okay. If we can't operate with hope, who can? If we can't operate with faith, who can? Look why do I need to change? Well, you need to change. I need to change because I'm not yet who God wants me to be. And with every change I'm willing to let him make, I'm transformed and I'm renewed in his image. And that's open to every each and every one of us if we're willing to do that. Any questions? okay all right so we uh end every service with a time of prayer it is a time where we bring forth the prayers of of the body of christ many of them were given ahead of time they're written down i'm going to read some of those off peg is going to be wonderful enough to play some music along the way as we go Um, but i would encourage you if you need prayer i'm going to run around and say what do you need?" and repeat it to everybody. And if you need to pray with somebody personally, one-on-one, there are people here that are willing to do that with you right here, right now, that are willing to pray with you in the moment, should you need it. If you come forward, somebody will join you, I promise you, and they will pray for you and with you along the way. So let's, everybody stand up, we'll read these prayers as we go.